Hello everyone, welcome to the very first episode of Oilcast. I'm Greg Newman, the CEO of Honest Capital Group. And I'm Benny Williams, Head of Gasoline at Honest. So every day we're going to be drilling into the latest stories and headlines that affect oil swap markets. Uh, today we're going to be discussing COP26, the latest OPLEC Plus meeting, and uh, the latest kind of movers and shakers in uh, oil swaps. We're also going to go on to discuss a bit about what it's like to be an oil trader during the transition. So just a quick reminder before we start, um, this is actually filmed in person as well. So you can uh, head to our YouTube channel if you'd rather watch than listen. Benny, let's start uh, headline price, OPEC Plus. Uh, yeah, we had the uh, meeting yesterday and uh, we were just discussing before, weren't we, that uh, on Wednesday there was kind of that de-risking sell-off and 85-ish on the Brent futures down to about 82. A lot of traders were saying, well, the trend's still there, uh, you know, so corrections to be expected. Uh, and, that, and that's sensible. It wasn't that violent, but um, it was probably uh, the reason why we bounced back up was, you know, people buying the dip ultimately. Um, but then we sold off again and now we're down to the 80. We're in that scenario now where the market is giving you the indication that it's overextended. Uh, and when you have a situation where the market's moving lower with no real kind of reason, you know, in terms of justifiable supply and demand reason, then that gets people worried. Why is it moving down? This doesn't make sense. Uh, and I think with so many people kind of uh, with risk on, you know, even risk managers are going to say, yeah, okay, you might be bullish, but five or six dollars lower, what are you going to do? And they might stop them out. And then there's a fight for liquidity on the downside and get very, very, uh, you know, um, frothy. And, and well, this is herd trading in its classic yeah. sense. We see in crypto all the time, right? Uh, and things like that, overextended speculative open interest, you kind of get these nonsensical moves just on the basis of that. So I think that's very much, uh, very much what's happening. So with the market long on a speculative basis, where have the sellers been? Where's the hedging flow to keep the price deflated under pressure? There was all that kind of talk about, um, you know, shale oil production not coming online very quick as it was before because they're being very hesitant. But uh, clearly there's some hedging flow out there starting to come in. As, as we kind of stopped this relentless bull trend uh, in the 80s and leveled out, I think it was a pretty good time to take stock and say, well, if we've got some hedging to be done, we should probably get started getting it done at these high prices. And it was only a few days ago, I think we saw, a, yeah, it was November the 3rd, we saw the Reuters article saying, actually, US Shell producers, BP, Chevron, Exxon, they're openly planning to increase their shell production now, yeah. even despite what they said before. And that has to translate into hedging. Uh, and uh, the private producers have been pumping away. So I think there's quite a bit more hedging flow to come in. Actually, there's been an absence of that hedging yeah. flow up until now. So yeah, that hedging flow coming in, everyone already long, it could be, uh, it could be quite yeah, nasty. Yeah, there's, there's room for a big shift to the downside there for sure. I think the only other thing, kind of headline price, sorry, headline stories at the mo moment uh, is COP26. Yeah. Now, not, not immediately uh, impacting price, but you know, there are potential impacts to our market, right? For sure. I, I saw yesterday that various countries are pledging to, to quit coal. Now, this doesn't include China, Australia. I don't think it includes the US either. All the big coal. All the, yeah, basically <laughs> everyone who uses coal in a serious or produces coal in a serious manner. But this has to be bullish oil and gas. I mean, coal is the biggest single contributor to worldwide emissions. I think it's between like 35 and 40% of world electricity production is coal powered. And switching to cleaner fuels in the energy transition must mean oil-based or gas-based fuel. And that's going to be super bullish the oil swaps market, the oil market on a physical basis in general. 
Yeah, I think, I think the other thing is, is, is it's in conflict, isn't it? Because they want to reduce their production, but the forward market uh, looks great from a refinery margin point of view, uh, great from a production price point of view. So if they come in and if refiners lock that in, if producers lock that in, there's a guaranteed production at very high levels, at least into next year, probably another couple of years. So really, uh, it's not great conditions for any kind of uh, production decrease or anything like that. But that's the transition, and I guess, if we do transition between the dirtier petrochemical, you know, petroleum-based fuels, hydrocarbons, to cleaner ones, and then eventually to fully renewable energy, to your hydrogens, you need this kind of bridge where you're not using the worst fuels, but as we saw with gas over the winter, you can't just stop using hydrocarbons, mm -hmm. otherwise people are going to freeze in their homes. Well, that's the main thing. I mean, the oil rally, a lot of people have blamed it on the gas rally. Yeah. And there's been a lot of gas to coal switching rather than gas to gasoline switching necessarily. Yeah. And you take away coal, you've now not got that to lean on in a kind of supply shock again. Exactly. So it could be very violent once more, but it's maybe, maybe what we need, mm. high prices, that kind of thing. Okay, so moving on to um, oil swaps market, what's moving uh, markets there. Uh, there's a couple things to talk about, uh, but I think as head of gasoline at Onyx, uh, Benny, one thing that I've been keeping an eye on is, is gasoline. So summer positioning, Q3 in particular, very, very strong. A lot of people bullish, uh, a lot of people doing very well out of that bullish position. But it was very much an expectation that it would be centered around summer. But we've actually continued, haven't we? So why, why, why has that happened? The cracks are still enormous levels, still rallying. Well, gasoline is a long-only market. And I say this in a serious sense that the, the main selling flows and the main short flows are hedging flows or refineries. Generally, people always get long the summer, and four years out of five, they make very good money doing it. The, the only sellers are hedges, mainly refiners. Yes. So the only, there's no natural buyer from a hedging perspective. No. So all the buying has to be held as speculative risk. Mostly so, yeah, so in reality. Really long or a little bit long. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone gets long on a speculative basis because gasoline generally performs into driving season. Yeah. Now, gasoline has been interesting for the whole year. We had the gasoline shortages in the UK, which the government and I believe also are really driver-related, you know, or logistics-related rather than fundamentally, because in the oil swaps market, we saw almost no change in the headline price. Yeah. Whereas at the petrol pump, we were seeing, you know, 30, 40, 50% increases in some places. Yeah, I think it was a nice story to say it was gasoline supply links, but it just wasn't at all. It was just panic buying exactly. and, and that kind of thing. But it was surprising to see, the, like the October crack in particular, um, you know, there was a lot of resistance at kind of like the 10-ish level. Mm. Uh, I think as people took profit, maybe that kind of thing. But as that subsided, we just, especially in October, we just had like a non-stop rally in October and November cracks. I mean, it's, it just seems to, really, to be relentless. Is that a positioning thing, or the physical premiums are actually there, aren't they? Or well, when the market's long in oil swaps, uh, the market rolls off, so positions reduce based upon the physical print, yeah. which is set by a group of traders trading in Europe barges out of the ARA, so Amsterdam, Rotterdam, Antwerp region. The October crack, especially in pricing, was so strong because these physical players uh, set the physical print higher. Yeah. And so profit on their own position at a kind of level of their choosing or a market decided level of that choosing. Yeah. So everyone long, no interest in, in, in sell, selling gasoline. We've got a shortage fundamentally. Yeah. So I guess. Yeah, the, the, the window that sets the price, that kind of thing, was only ever going to be bullish. But I just the extent of it was surprising. So I almost thought yeah. people were caught short, or well, you don't think. That really is the difference between the OCNOV and NOVDEC pricing. In OCNOV, we had one player short, 
and they attempted to defend their position on the physical barges, selling quite large volumes daily until a point where um, they weren't, didn't have any more physical to sell, and so it priced strong. In this November pricing month, the whole market is long, and they have the physical to price their position. So we're seeing Novdeck roll off at, you know, plus 70s, which is unheard of for a time spread in kind of this area of the year. But it's, it, the fundamentals maybe are that justified. You know, you come out into the window, you buy in at these high cash levels, you, you can find a home for it, I guess, at that level. I and mean, that's just, just yeah. justified. I'm sure they're taking losses on the physical position. Yeah, okay. Uh, sending it, but they're probably sending it to the east where you're still seeing kind of $7 cash premiums, which is about $20 a ton lower than the European premiums. Yeah. One thing I did hear from some physical guys is that the expectation was with the market super long Q3, summer, the summer kind of post-COVID, we see a fantastic driving season and then the market would drop off. So people would, the Q4 would dip. What we've actually seen is that the summer with those elevated crack levels that everyone was long, there's been no change in driving because we didn't really have a summer. We didn't really have a driving season. And so now we get these summer crack levels, these summer spread levels rolling into winter because yeah. driving hasn't reduced, but it didn't spike in the summer. And so the time spreads have to continue at these kind of levels. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. So we knew that the market was positioned in Q3 you know, throughout yeah. the year. Um, the main Q4 position, if I remember, we chatted a while ago, uh, it was in the Gasnap Q4 long. Was it actually long the ARP? I forget which one it was. Uh, there was a kind of net long EBOB and Q4 position, whether okay. it be short the Q4 ARB or long the gas snap. Right. And the problem we have there is that neither have really performed. Right. On an, on an outright basis, EBOB is strong with Brent flat price and with cracks. Well, so that's maybe why they needed to buy the crack, mm. because the actual trade craft or the trade positioning wasn't really held in the thing that was going to perform. Exactly. So there was new buying to come in. Um, yeah. yeah. And with NAFTA, NAFTA supported via LPG, which is supported via gas, those gas snaps reached super cheap levels. We're talking debt gas snap minus 10 people were buying and you saw a lot of speculative buying there. Even that has only really performed up five, 10, 15 dollars at the max for these guys, which is not a lot for that amount of risk. I've always used to say like trade what you're trading. In other words, like if you're bullish gasoline, why are you buying gasoline versus NAPFA? Yeah. Or you know, you, you need to just hold what you actually believe is going to perform. And I think on a, on a crack basis, it looks like maybe there was a lack of positioning there despite being bullish. Hmm. So that, that's really interesting. I think um, outside of that, uh, the other couple of things I think are key are, one, the gas oil crack rally uh, last month. Yeah. Um, we went all the way up from kind of 9, 10-ish on Q4 up to like 13, hmm. back down. And it seemed to correlate almost exactly with hedge fund positioning uh, getting long according to the CFTC report, which I thought um, was interesting. Uh, and the fuel oil crack, the high sulfur fuel oil crack, um, we had the situation where the gas oil cracks performed on the forward basis, the high sulfur crack was rallying, then you had the e-ball crack, everything was high, so something had to correct. Like heavy crudes were too cheap um, for that heavy margin now being really good, but it just proved it was just, for me, it proved it was all paper, because you buy a lot of gas oil cracks, you push it up, you buy fuel oil cracks, you push it up, and then a refiner's gonna look at it and say, well, great, I've got the economics. Let me run heavy crude, let me buy heavy crude. And then suddenly it's like, bam, high sulfur fuel oil cracks, minus nine down to minus 14. And we still haven't really got a justification from the fuel oil desk as to why it was such a violent uh, retracement. So I, I heard a couple of rumors on this from brokers and traders. The first one I heard is that a large player was stopping out of length, okay. which I do believe, but then I asked that. But they were stopping out when, as it was getting higher though. Um, 
So, so, so there was an impetus to... And then supposedly stopped out. When I spoke to the trader who supposedly did stop out, he actually, he actually said that the desk could, was not closing out length, but putting on a big short position at those levels. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, more runs in Europe, uh, more heavy crude, the economics for heavy crudes getting better. You're going to run more heavy crude. You're going to produce yeah. more high sulfur fuel. Like Euros at one point was way too cheap, I think, at minus two, and it's, 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 it's retraced. Um, so that's all, that's all very interesting. But I think one thing the market needs to know and not ignore is that despite all these kind of fundamental justifications for strength, um, the dated Brent market is, is really struggling. Uh, it's, it, it's really waning in the front, and you see that reflected into the front Brent spread as well. Yeah. And I think um, the 40s crude, you know, 40s being one of the main crudes that sets the benchmark, there's an overhang of like seven, eight uh, cargoes at the moment. And people just blame it on China. You know, China's not taking these cargoes that they usually do. And so it's, it's overhung and it's been re-offered into the market. And it's said in a way that's like, yeah, so therefore, as soon as that's gone, everything's fine. But crude's still crude. At the end of the day, seven, eight, eight cargoes of like 600 KB cargoes is a lot of crude. It's a lot to get rid of. It's a lot to get rid of. And it just shows you like, it's clear there isn't that kind of demand there to absorb it. The Brent Dubai EFS is way too high. So where we go from here is actually quite quite hard to, to predict. And that kind of correlates with the fuel oil if you think, I mean, 40s as a heavy, more sour crude. Well, it's a, it's a lighter sour crude, but you're right, in terms of running a Com configuration yeah. to clean up the sour with gas prices high and all yeah. that kind of thing, yeah. It's going to be expensive. It's I mean, be expensive, if, yeah. if people don't want to pick up 40s and people don't want to produce fuel oil, then there has to be some correlation between those two. Yeah, no, In true. terms of flows. So I think um, where we go from here is, well, data's continuing to price weak. We actually had quite a poor kind of performance of the front uh, Brent spread into expiry last month. Brent spreads got way ahead of themselves in the deferred markets. Actually, the people who usually are buying uh, data and moving the barrels out of the region are now selling in the prompt. So it, it could be, uh, well, a very good indication that at least we're overdone. But uh, where we go from here, we, couldn't, we, we can't just assume everything's so bullish because there is these very clear things going on in the benchmark yeah. that it at least has some kind of uh, points to some kind of signal that the sell-off from Brent maybe has some kind of fundamental justification as well as the flows. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, um, we, still, we still do have this refinery margin, which I mean, in Asia is unbelievable. We're like looking at our own uh, numbers on, on its benchmarks plus 10 in the front compared with like three or four huge. in Europe. Yeah, it's huge. I'm sure gasoline is the jewel of that crown. Yeah. At the moment, these, these Asian cracks are massive mm. and you still can't get short them. Yeah. With last month's cash to paper, you know, the end of it being seven, this month being seven, seven dollars spread on these things. No one wants to be short. There was a tiny bit of bearish news in that China announced they were going to release some gasoline from their you know, strategic reserves, trying to you know, keep prices reasonable for the consumer. It was gobbled up instantly. There was you know, a couple of takedowns in the prompt spread, and then trade houses would come out lifting everything. Flux is a brand new e-brokerage platform designed specifically for the oil swaps market brought to you by Onyx Capital Group. The platform is a web-based application which acts as a digital marketplace for the OTC brokered market and supported by the world's largest liquidity provider in oil swaps. By subscribing to Flux, you'll have immediate visibility on live oil swap markets from your web browser, making access to the market easier than ever before. 
you'll be able to see live, accurate, intraday forward curve values for oil swaps, bringing you unrivaled visibility to the OTC market. You'll also get access to our settlement prices throughout the trading day and charting software on historical prices, as well as many more features to come. So to finish off uh, this episode, I wanted to talk uh, a bit more about the lifestyle side of things. Now, it's an interesting one for me. I've, I've pulled out of trading uh, day to day, uh, but obviously still very linked to oil trading. But you're very much an oil trader and you're very young. So what is it, how do you feel about being an oil trader or how is it being an oil trader in this current COP26 kind of environmental transition phase? It's strange. I, th I think people, there's a lot of animosity towards people who trade oil. They're, people like to point kind of the climate change burden towards, bankers. pardon? We're the new bankers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we are the new bankers in the year 2008. Yeah. And you're, you're blamed for emissions when in reality you have to think that the energy transition requires transparency, requires oil traders. We can't just quit hydrocarbons as we know. So, you know, even uh, my friends are like, oh, how do you feel? You know, is it a moral job? Mm. Well, a few companies emit most of the world's greenhouse gases and by making the market kind of more transparent, more liquid, we're actually making it easier to, to transition, I think. No, I think that there's something to be said about, uh, you know, for instance, if you take shale, shale has been able to absolutely boom so quickly um, because part of the requirement was resource-based lending. So you've got these wildcatters, you've got this oil on the ground, okay, the bank will finance you, just go and hedge straight away. So the financial instrument being liquid and fit for purpose yeah. helped that industry grow. So it's going to be very similar for you know, the, the clean fuels and, and the renewables. So there's certainly that aspect. And you're now trading LNG uh, from time to time, and maybe we'll be making that transition yourself. Um, so we're already on that trajectory, right, down towards renewables. So I certainly don't think you need to feel uh, bad or anything like that. Um, but for me, even before that, We've got, to, we've got to talk about, you know, the oil industry has, in the past, had very, well, bad connotations in terms of the way it's de dealt with. Mm -hmm. But we stand for 100%. Everything we do in our slogans, in our, in our actions, in our, um, you know, platform, this kind of thing, we're all about transparency. You know, we're all about efficiency on the bid offer, uh, creating more liquid markets, more functioning markets. And we've definitely got a track record of doing that. And you do yourself now. So um, that reduces corruption, reduces wastage. Uh, it, it's got to be a good thing. I always ask why you want to be a trader. One of probably the most standard and boring interview questions. And I'm always told, you know, it's meritocratic. And then people say it's different every day. It's just completely not true. If you talk about a doctor or a waitress or an, an actress, you can say it's different every day. You know, you're a GP, you come in, someone has this disease, someone has the flu, someone but you do the same steps. And you're trained to be an expert in this particular yeah. thing, so you wouldn't go and change that. No, you, you do do the same thing every day. You know, uh, sure, I, the market might go up, the market might go down, this differential might slightly move, but with the same processes, the same thoughts, you log onto the same system every day. It's actually more like Groundhog Day when you're just refining your craft. But that's, that's what creates expertise. Like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, play, he, he just obsesses on the training field, just relentlessly working. It's not a glamorous thing. And it does annoy me a little bit when people just say, oh, I just want to be a trader. Like, you, you know, you need to know what that means. It's a very tough job, very monotonous job. And you just got to have this relentless drive to self-improve. Uh, and I think the other thing that's interesting is um, I got told by a, 
uh, my performance director uh, at my last place, uh, James King, he was saying, look, there's creators and there's repeaters. And traders really need to be repeaters because they need to go again and again and again. If you're a creator and you need to move on, uh, sorry, you need to do different things to feel stimulated. That's not really concordant with trading because, as you say, you have to get, you know. Because you're always going to be chasing the new thing, the rush. Yeah. If you're going to be a successful trader, you have to find a process that works for you, that's, that's profitable. It's like, it's like any sport. You're only as good as your last try or last, last goal, whatever. So, you know, you finish, have a really good day. You still got to get up in the morning and do it again, exact the same time and go again. So, um, but you, you enjoy that, right? I mean, it's, it is the best job in the world. And you'll hear, I mean, the co-founder Omar say that all the time. There's, there's nothing more exciting. I really enjoyed your analogy about what it's like to sit and trade at Onyx involving like playing Call of Duty or playing a video game. It's, it's so true. And it's what I used to relate to my friends, like not exactly how it is to trade, but, but how it feels emotionally, like the physical brunt you take of, mm. I explained it poorly as if you had to play Call of Duty Warzone all day and you know, if you came number one, you make 100,000 and if you're in the bottom 50, you lose 2,000. Is that why you're always trolling people with your uh... yeah. <laughs> My little headset on? <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, mogging the brokers, if only. But it really, it really, really is like that. You, even the physical positioning and Sometimes I talk to the physical guys and they say, oh, you know, these market makers are always just like you know, not robbing us on value. But I'll say you sit there all day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. marking the curve, uh, showing bid offer. Value is a myth. Value, it doesn't exist. It's, or you could just go in, do your hedge on the bid or the offer rather than at a predisposed value that, you know, a broker sent you on a run that doesn't exist. I mean, value is the last trade. Yeah, I'm sure we could talk about that kind of thing for hours on end, and we probably will in future episodes. But that rounds up for us on Oilcast this week. Uh, next week, we'll be doing the same again uh, for the latest headlines and thoughts from Benny and myself. Make sure to check out Flux.Live, which is Onyx's new e-brokerage platform. I'll be making markets on there in Gasoline and Naffa pretty much all day long. Yeah, please check it out. And uh, you can follow us on social media, either uh, Instagram, which is Flux Liquidity Hub, one word, or LinkedIn, uh, Flux Dash Live. Thanks very much, uh, and that's goodbye from us. <laughs>